as I was kind of praying about what I was supposed to bring, um, I really felt like God was saying, you know, um, Awesome. All right, thanks. <laughs> I was really just God has really given me a heart for um just his father, his father heart. Um he uh I think that's that's one thing that he's he's really shown me the past uh know, year or so. Um his just his his love for his children. Um so I really felt like God was saying, Well maybe you need to share that with everyone. So I was like, Okay, let's do it, God. Um I kind of wanted to. I was. I was kind of taught. I, was, I went to this like kind of. Um, it was the same school uh, Kara went to to learn how to you know preach. Um, it was at our, our old church, and they said you need to have like a good hook to get people in. So I was like, all right, I got to think of a really good hook for this. And so here, here's my hook. Are you guys ready for it? It's like, um, I, I just want to kind of ask a poll of how many people have a negative self-image, and that's me, first of all, negative self-image. Definitely, yeah. It's a big, it's a big problem in this country. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't help also that uh, all over the, we're we're constantly being bar- bombarded in advertisements and the world and just people around saying, you know, you're crap. Because um, that, that's that's basically what what it all says, you know, get hydroxy cut to lose weight, um, get get zit cream, so no no one will ever talk to you if you have zits, God forbid. Um, but that's that's uh, just kind of what what our society tells us, and even in our like major religions, um, we're we're always told, you know, you're not good enough to to be his. Um, you have to you have to work for your salvation. That might work a little bit better. <laughs> All right. Hello. There we go. Okay, that's a little bit better. Um. So yeah, even even in a you know our major religions are telling us that that we have to earn our salvation, we have to work for Him, we have to, to in order to get to heaven. Um, but that's not what God says. Um, and you know, with all that negativity you know surrounding us, it's really hard to really believe that we can be accepted and loved by God. Um, I guess uh, one of the one of the biggest like revelations that I ever I've ever learned. In my in my time of just studying the word and studying history of of Israel and history of all that stuff because I really like that because I'm a nerd. Um, I, I I encourage you to go on to followtherabbi.com. Followtherabbi.com. It is an amazing website. Just just kind of talks about Jesus as a rabbi, Jesus in Jewish culture, Jesus in Galilee in the first century. Um, but uh, I just want—I'll start out with this verse. Actually, it's uh, John 15, 15 and 16. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, which is uh, my favorite translation, just because it's kind of like Bible for the idiots, because it's a a nice, a nice, uh, easy, easy translation to to understand. Um, so John 15, 15 through 16. This is Jesus speaking. I no no longer call you slaves, because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are friends. Since I have told you everything the Father told me, you don't choose me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. I, Jesus chose his disciples. I don't know how people know this, um, but he chose them. He went around and he said, you, can, you want to be a fishers of men? And, and they were like, okay, and dropped everything and did it. Um, but I don't... 
first century Galilee, becoming a rabbi in first century Galilee was was crazy hard. Um, I, I did a little bit of research on follow, followtherabbi.com. Um, so about four or five children would would start studying um, the the Torah. Uh, at the Beth Shafer. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I, I, I probably no one speaks Hebrew, so. Um, but yeah, it was uh, so four or five years old. People started learning, learning the Torah and memorizing the Torah. Now, after that, uh, most of the most of the kids knew the Torah by heart. Um, it was very important, especially in Galilee. Galilee was a huge place for for education. It was it was known for having a lot of very spiritually smart people because they did a lot of studying in Galilee. Um, next point. After and after this, after that point, um, most, if not all, went to went home. The women actually, actually, girls were invited into to this first school. So, girls and boys were learning the Torah. Um, after this, the girls went home. They weren't really allowed to go on to the next stage. But but men went home and started, or boys went home and started learning the the uh, the family trade. So they were about 12 at this time. Um, and so the best students they continued on to Beth Midrash. Um, it was taught by a rabbi in the community, as was the first one. Uh, they this one was a little more of intense of a school. Um, they studied uh, the prophets and their writings. And they uh, and they learned interpre- interpretations of the oral, oral Torah, so they could learn how to make their own applications to to uh, to the Torah. So basically, um, this is where they learned how to make their own their own uh, interpretations. It says that right there. But yeah, God. Um, they learned a lot about God in this this time, and really learned a lot about the Bible and the the Word and the prophets. Um, and after that, so they were probably about 15, 16, they uh, went to the next school, um, which was basically going, finding a rabbi and saying, hey, can I train under, under you? Can I follow you for years and become your disciple? Or, uh, see the word Talmud. That's, I, like, I like learning Hebrew words. Um, and so, when the ra- so if the rabbi felt that this this person was was worthy to be his disciple. Was worthy to be him, basically, because I um in with a rabbi, you weren't studying under a rabbi to to uh, be your own rabbi. You were studying under a rabbi to be pretty much exactly like that rabbi. Um, it wasn't just learning your own new way. It was pretty much becoming that rabbi. Um, so if the rabbi thought you were were good enough, you'd say follow me, and you'd follow him for several years, and and become a rabbi about 30 years old. So that's a little, little uh, information for Jesus's because <laughs> he started his, his when he was 30. Um, but uh, the thing that really is crazy about that, I, I, I really like history. That's why I brought that up. But it's more that rabbis didn't really choose their own disciples. It was the disciples going and saying, I want to be your your disciple, but Jesus, on the other hand, chose all of his disciples. And when you look at it, you see there were fishermen. Some of them uh, were with their with their father, and they dropped everything, left their father in the boat. Basically, they were still, they were teenagers. They were learning how to be a fisherman. Um, but uh, but God chose them. So basically, they were told in school, 
you're not good enough to be a rabbi. Sorry, guys. Um, you have to learn the the, the family trade because I'm sorry, you just, you just you can't cut it as a rabbi. But God, Jesus, came and said, you can cut as a rabbi. I want you to be my disciple. I want you to be my followers. And I want you to change the world. And that's what they did. Um, and I, I guess the, the huge, the father heart of God, um, it's like he chose us and he adopted us into his family. So I'm going to read some more scripture here. It's on the next page, the reference. It's Romans 8, 14 through 17. Romans 8, 14 through 17. Starting at verse 14, it says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba Father. For this Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are God's children, we are His heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in His glory, we also must share in His suffering. Um, we actually at my DTS which is discipleship training school with the, with the YWAM um, we talked we had a whole week about the father heart of God and the adoption into his family um, it's uh, it's 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 really touched my heart because it's uh, it, having that father's love is is really important um I don't know where I was going with that. I'm sorry. Uh, well, I actually also did some more research because I really like research because I'm a nerd. I already said that. But uh, I did a little bit of research on the adoption in the Roman Empire because this, this was Israel was part of the Roman Empire at this time. Uh, it was actually a very common practice in, in Rome. Um, in fact, it was the most common um, way to ascend into the throne without using force. So... The, the emperor, the Roman emperor, would, would find someone and say, that guy, I think he would be a good emperor. I'm going to adopt him into my family. He's going to be my son now. And he's going to uh, be the next emperor, basically. Uh, I thought that was really interesting. Uh, this, it's not, they weren't born into being an emperor. They were adopted into it. Um, in fact, the second emperor ever in the Roman Empire, Tiberius, he was adopted by the first emperor, Augustus, and that that uh, began a 200-year trend of adoption into the Roman Empire. I thought that was really interesting um, because that is what God is doing with us. He is adopting us into His family and saying, "You're worthy to be to be my heir. You're worthy to be part of this kingdom. You're worthy to bring this kingdom to the earth." Um, and so he chose us to be to be a royal priesthood. He chose us to be co-heirs with Jesus. Um, we 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 choose yes, but God chose us. God adopted us. Um, there's nothing we can do to 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 become adopted by Him. I'm going kind of fast. Uh, I just realized. But yeah, God. Yeah. Um, I'll move on a little bit. This is uh probably the one of the biggest things in, in my heart is uh calling god abba father um i know that like that's it sounds abba father uh abba father thank you it's but uh again doing research i before i got this tattoo i don't know if people know this tattoo I've, 
right on my wrist right here. That's Abba in Hebrew. Um, I got it tattooed on me because I was uh, I was really praying because I pray before all my tattoos actually. Um, and I said, God, I really want to display your your love for me to the world through my tattoos. That's actually one of my ministries. I really feel God has called me to is to share share my love for Him and His love for me through the ink on my skin because um, I'm a, I, I like the way it looks and I and I like telling people about Jesus through it and and uh, it's a it's a good a uh, good way to tell people because it's a it's a good way to get into the, the the darker crowds and and the people that have a bunch of tattoos and and like I don't want to talk to some guy in a suit because he doesn't he doesn't get me but uh, but a guy with tattoos gets you you know um, but uh, I guess the the best biblical example of of God being Abba Father um, is the prodigal son or the lost son. I have another uh, another scripture. This is a little bit longer. It's Luke 15:11 through 31, um, and I'm going to read the whole thing because I find the whole thing important. Um, it's a it's a beautiful story. It's and it's just a story. Um, unfortunately, it didn't really happen. I'm sure, it really did happen some, at some point, but uh, but this is just Jesus telling telling the, his disciples and the and the crowds what what the kingdom of heaven is like. Um, so I'll start. Verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. I'm going to stop real quick because uh, in that, that verse, he says, I want my share of your estate before you die. Basically, he's telling his dad, you're dead to me already. Give me Give me your money. You're dead to me. So... I don't want any part of you. I just wanna, I just want the money, and I don't wanna, I don't wanna do whatever I want with it. All right, I'll move on now. Uh, Thirteen. A few days later, his, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there, he wasted his, all his money on wild living. About this time, his money ran out. A great farmer. Oh, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. That might be my... I think, don't think my phone's on. Sorry, guys. I think it's Mark. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, he persuaded the local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, "Father, I have sinned against you, against both. I've, I'm sorry, I have sinned against both you and heaven. I got that wrong, but that's good. Okay. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as your hired servant." And I actually want to stop right there too, because he says, "Please take me on as your hired servant." And I want, I want you to remember that he's gonna, he wants to say, "Please take me on as your hired servant." All right, we'll move on. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long, a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both father, both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now I'm going to stop again. Remember when I said, he said, please take me on as your servant. He doesn't say it. Um, I was, again, doing research, and uh, a lot of scholars believe that he didn't say it because he was cut off. His dad cut him off because he was so excited to see him. 
Um, he didn't let him say, take him out as your hired sermon, because he was so excited to see him that, that he didn't want to hear anything else he had to say. He just wanted to love on him. Um, so we'll move on. He says, uh, But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robes in the house and put it on him. Give him a ring for his fingers and sandals for his feet. And kill a calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. And in uh, Hebrew culture, each family would uh, have a fattened calf uh, for in case there was a, a, a big party or if there was a, digni- a, a, a dignitary coming, they would uh, have a fattened calf so they could kill it and they could feast for, for a long time and, and just kind of celebrate with this dignitary. So it was a... So basically him killing killing his calf for his son it was kind of a big deal. That was his only calf. That was the only fattened calf they had at that at that as far as I know. Um, so yeah. We'll move on. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants, "What is going on?" "Your brother is back," he told as he was told, "and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return." The older brother was angry and wouldn't go and go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, "All these years I've slaved for you, and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all the time you never gave me even one one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf." I want to point out, he says, "This son of yours." He doesn't say, "My brother." He says, "This son of yours." Basically, he's disowning. He's disowning his, his younger brother. Um, his father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed with me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and he has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. That, uh, that's a really po- very powerful story to me. Because um, Jesus, basically what Jesus was talking about, he was saying, the lost are, are the, the, the young son and the religious rulers, the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees are, are the, the older son. And the older son thinks that he can, he can earn his inheritance. Um, he can earn a party with, with God. But, but the younger son knows he screwed up. He comes and says, God, or Dad, in this case, I screwed up. Take take my heart. Um, I, I want to devote my whole life to you. I'm giving my life to you. I I, I messed up. It was all, it's all me. And that is what that is what the Father wants. He wants us to be in complete surrender to Him. He wants us to 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 recognize our own fallibleness, our own our own screwed upness, um, to make us not screwed up. I, and I, I know I don't want people to think you know you're you're screwed up and you need you need to think of yourself as screwed up because that's not what that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that in order to enter the kingdom of God, we have to understand that we are sinners and we have to understand that we screwed up in our lives and we have to admit it to Him. And yeah, so <laughs> long little thing, but uh, yeah. So the prodigal son, he's. I want to kind of talk about my favorite 
my, it's kind of my life verse. It's my, it's the verse that I that I feel most influenced by. It's the verse that I most quote. It's the verse that I most tell people. It's the verse that I most tell myself. It's the verse I most pray. Um, Ephesians 2:10. I'm I'm not. It's NLT, it should be. It's going to be an NLT up there. Um, but I'm going to first recite. I think it's the NIV. I'm not even sure. Um, this is the one I learned. It's the one I memorized. It says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. Um, but for the longest time, like, I was, I was always told that in youth group when I was younger, and I was, uh, and I was like, what? What is workmanship? I don't even know what that means, God. Um, but so, I got an NLT Bible, um, and this is what the NLT says. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things he planned for us long ago. And after reading that and saying, oh, masterpiece, but then going back and seeing workmanship and really, really figuring out what workmanship meant. Workmanship means that he spent a lot of time like on a masterpiece. Imagine Leonardo da Vinci make painting the most Mona Lisa. He was uh, he spent a lot of time on that thing. He he uh, would look at it, make sure it was perfect before he um, wanted to put it on display. That's what God does in us. We are His workmanship. He has spent a lot of time and a lot of effort to make us who we are and to make us. Perfect in his eyes through Jesus, we're perfect. Um, so, I think the thing that I most get out of this verse is is God doesn't make junk. Um, we we aren't we in this society we are told you know you are junk, but God says you're not junk. I you are my workmanship. I created you to do my work, not so you can gain salvation, but so that you can show the world His love. That that's what we are called to do: show the world His love. Uh, I want to kind of switch gears and show a little bit of a uh, kind of a an illustration that I found really powerful for 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 God's love, um, for just a, an example of His love. I want to go into a little bit of a, a just an ex- explanation. I have a, I'm going to have a video. Uh, hopefully, it looks okay. It's on YouTube, so it might be a little. Uh, grainy, but uh, that's okay. I think you'll get the point. But uh, talking, let's kind of give a little background. So uh, there's this, these athletes, this, this, these pair of athletes, um, they're called Team Hoyt because their last name is Hoyt. Uh, it's, it's a father and son, Rick and Dick Hoyt. Um, but uh, due to, due to uh, a birth defect, and uh, when uh, Rick was born, the son, in 1962, he uh, had oxygen deprivation in his brain. So uh, he was diagnosed with spastic. He was he was diagnosed aspastic quad, quadriplegic uh, with cerebral palsy. So this this is a he's about 37 now, probably a little older. I I don't do I didn't do the math, but uh, he he uh, so basically he's mute. And he can't walk. He can't move his arms. Um, 100% paralyzed. 
with cerebral palsy. I don't know how many people, people I, I've worked with people with disabilities for a lot of years. Cerebral palsy is a, is a disconnection with the brain, with the muscles. So um, they, it's a lot of hard to walk, um, hard to talk because of the, the disconnect. So th this, this young man has this, and his dad um, was with him. But in the, in the, uh, the spring of 1977, uh, Rick, his son, told his father, there was a, through a computer, I should say that, because he obviously can't talk, but he, they made a computer so that he can, he can communicate, um, so he can actually you know, tell his dad and his family what he, what he wants. So he, he, in 1977, he told his, his dad, um, there was a, a, a lacrosse player that got paralyzed, and he said, "There's a five a five mile run that's going on, and I I want to do this. Um, I know I can't walk, but I want to do this." And his dad's like, "I'll push you, okay? Well, I'll push you." His dad, not being an athlete, dedicated himself to to be able to run five miles so he could push his son in this five mile race, um, and uh, and he did. And since that time. They have competed in almost 1,000 races together. In fact, they just uh, they just completed their 1,000 race this this year. Uh, they did the Boston Marathon together. Um, and in fact, the, I think the most powerful one though they did the the Ironman um, triathl triathlon in in Hawaii. But uh, what keeps his dad going is he says oh, after after the five mile run he said, Dad, when I'm running. It doesn't feel like I'm handicapped, and his dad was like, his dad was like, all right, well, I think you need to not feel like you're handicapped, and and I want you to feel this. So uh, the the video that's going to show is uh, just footage of their Ironman triathlon together, um, and then I'll kind of talk about it. So hopefully, it, I know it's gonna be Spanish up on there, <laughs> but. Um, I just thought that was really powerful. Um, not just because it's it's a it's a dad with his with his son, but it's also how God feels about us. We are kind of born into this world, and we are sin. We we are born into sin. Um, but God God makes us, gives us, he brings us into the glory. Um, I don't know if you noticed at the end of the video, but something I really noticed was after they crossed the finish line, um, Rick, the, the, the son, was smiling ear to ear, and his dad was like, yeah, you did it. And that's, that is what God wants to do with us. He, he is going to do everything for us, but he gives us the like we get the not not we get glory, but not in the glory of of according to man. We're not we're not you know you are so great, but it's it's glory in in with him. Um, the glory of the kingdom. We brought we get brought, brought into this glory um, with him, and he he makes us great. We we were born sinful, and we were born puny and pathetic. Um, but he made us strong and and amazing. <laughs>